I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome back to Create a New Tomorrow. I'm your host, Ari Gronich, and today I have with me Sunil Godsey. He is an intuitionologist, and I am not going to tell you exactly what that is. I'm going to let him do it. But uh, let, let's just say that by using his intuition, he has had the uh, success of making over $20 million, taking companies from 500000 to $3.5 million, doing all kinds of things on establishing relationships. And he's helped over 50,000 people change the way that they make decisions by helping them sharpen their intuition. Now, I have my own motivations for wanting to talk to Sunil, but I'm going to let him tell you a little bit about intuitionology. Fantastic. Well, thanks for having me uh, on. I'm really excited to uh, to educate your listeners a bit on on how to sharpen their intuition um, and to to give you a bit of a background as to kind of how I, I started, uh, you know, down the road of of figuring out, you know, why intuition was so important. Was I wrote a book called Fail Fast, Succeed Faster, and the whole premise behind the book was if you if you had looked at the the failures of others, the hurdles that others uh, had gone through in their businesses or their ventures then if you don't repeat them, then you should be, you, you should be able to succeed. And so when I, when I wrote the book and started going on stages, one of the questions I used to get was, well, what's the one thing that entrepreneurs can do that can make them successful? Sort of like this magic pill. And at that time, you know, when I used to get asked, I used to roll my eyes saying, well, there's a whole reason why I interviewed 300 people with 75 stories in the book. Uh, and so at that point, it was just that, like entrepreneurship is complicated and it is. Uh, but the one thing that came down to being common when I went back to listen to some of the video, the, the, uh, the taped interviews I had was that 80 to 90% of them used some form of, I ignored my intuition. I didn't trust my gut. I knew I shouldn't have. This was the language around this thing called intuition. And it really got me to understand, wow, that's really interesting that people are ignoring their intuition and it's now leading them to failures. Why do they do that? And, And did I ignore my intuition? And so when I immediately thought about when I ignored my intuition, there were three things that came up right away. The first was uh, a career that I got into. I got into engineering, being South Asian. It's it's either doctor, lawyer, engineer, or door number four is failure uh, for anybody South Asian, especially, uh, uh, you know, firstborn son or a son. So I ended up going to door number three uh, and I became the engineer and just absolutely hated it. And I spent three years there. And two, two in the second year of that three-year stint, I ended up becoming a, an investor uh, with a Mexican restaurant. A Mex- Mexican restaurant was a uh, senior frogs. We brought the chain up to Canada with the first time ever. Uh, and we bought the rights to the name and I became an investor. And I was making five times more in dividends than I was full-time as a, as a civil engineer. And so in the third year, I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, right? Entrepreneurship is really, really speaking to me from an intuitive perspective. I lost my relationship with my dad, uh, but that was a sacrifice I, I needed. That's why I kind of f- fell into these societal norms, so to speak. Um, and then that's, that went into wholesale clothing, retail clothing, pop-up events, entertainment company. Uh, and that's where the $20 million in, in um, uh, ventures or as investor came in before I started consulting other people. Uh, the second time was I remember there was a management consulting contract, a big one in Silicon Valley. 
And it was a big, uh, it was a big IT name. And I'm thinking, wow, yeah, this is what an opportunity. Uh, but the contract terms kept changing. And my intuition at that time was saying, you better back off. Like something's fishy here, but the money was so good. And I was so emotionally invested in going that I spent every single penny going down there and the company didn't pay me. And I came back with 25 cents in my bank account back to Canada. And, I, and at that time I was, there was two years, I was about to be married. I'd met my wife three years earlier and the money is just gone and I have nothing. So perhaps the most devastating one was I had a friend of mine who was being stalked and she needed some advice and I was doing some coaching at the time. And so she said, Sunil, can we meet right away to, to, uh, I need, I need you to give me some advice on what's going on. And so I had nothing that afternoon yet my, and my intuition saying like, meet with her, this is urgent yet something uh, like, I just, I just ignored that. That's something. And I said, well, let's meet a couple of days later. And the very next day, that same stalker walked up to her at a bus shelter and shot and killed her. Uh, and she ended and she ended up dying the very next day. So when I look at those times when I ignored this something, I kept thinking, like, why? Like, why did I do that? And then I started thinking, you know what? I mean, intuition's spoken to me before. I had this voice, I had this feeling, I got all these different things happening. Like, why do we ignore intuition? And that got me really taking a deep dive into understanding what intuition is. Is there science behind it? And sure enough, there were MRIs. When I looked at the academic literature and the showing where we're born with intuition, there was studies saying that uh, infants as young as two months old had intuitive capabilities. Um, you had experiences. There were four types of intuition and that we have these things called intuitive signals. And these signals are very unique to you and I. So we have four types of intuition uh, and we can dive into that uh, if you want a little bit later. And they yeah, all actually, come into splits. Yeah, yeah, I want to I interrupt you for a second. I want to yeah. know... Um, whether what the difference between intuition and reading your environment is. So it's, it's all part of the same thing. So let's, let's, and now you're touching upon the four types of intuition. So let's, let's dive into that. So the first, uh, first of the four, and this is not in by no means in any particular order because they all, all work at the same time. The biggest one that people don't think about is that intuition does rely on your past learning experience. So when you're born, all these, this learning and experience gets put into the subconscious area of your brain uh, that's relevant to you. And so if you look at the brain like, a sub, like an iceberg, the 10% above water is your conscious, the 90% is below uh, water, which is your subconscious. So that's the first thing. You're talking about the situation that you're in. So that's the second part. It's called situational intuition. It looks at the environment you're in and says, is, is, is everything safe? Is everything where it needs to be? there's something wrong. And if there's something wrong, you're, you'll focus on it, right? And you'll focus on what is, what's wrong. Is something out of place? Are you getting this feeling that there's danger coming? Uh, and so people, uh, I've, I've even had, uh, you know, people who are, uh, you know, blind and they've got their service dog and they're walking down this alley that they've gone and all of a sudden the service dog stops. There's something wrong that's going down that alley. And, and so I've had other people just gone down this alley and then again, uh, at nighttime, and they just sense there's something in their environment that's off and they walk the other way. And sure enough, later on, they see a couple of individuals that come around the side that are a little bit suspicious, start following her. Um, so that's that situational intuition. The third of the four uh, is called relational intuition. And so this is when you're looking at the person or persons in that environment. Can they be trusted? Uh, what's their body language looking like? Are their actions matching the words? What's the facial twitches? Is it deceptive? 
um, you know, and so, and it's consistently watching so that you're continually analyzing forever. Like somebody can, can rope you in and, 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 in, in, you know, two days later or a week later, start doing things that are uh, deceptive, right? So your, your intuition is always watching when it comes to relational intuition. And then the, the fourth one is creative intuition. That's the ultimate decision that you make. So all these four come together in a split second to tell you whether you're, you're making the right decision or making the wrong decision. And this is where the intuitive signals are very, very important. Because when you make the right decision, you get an inventory of positive signals. And typically for people, that's like the dots are connecting. It feels right. There's a pull. These are common after interviewing over a thousand people. These are sort of three of the common ones that people think about. The common ones, the negative ones is sort of that gut feeling. Uh, in some cases, it's a voice uh, where, and voice could be positive or negative, uh, depending on the tone of the voice or what you feel that voice is saying. Uh, and then there's a couple of really odd ones. Like there's one, which is an orb. Somebody sees an orb, an omen. Um, and in one case we had, there was an entrepreneur that, you know, when I was interviewing him, he was just saying, yeah, you know, I don't know about these signals, uh, you know, but every time he talked about his failures, the ventures that he went into for the wrong reasons, he kept touching his left earlobe and pretty soon it clicked like, oh my God, like there's a signal. And now he remembers every time he got into that venture. Uh, thinking about it, he'd be grabbing his left earlobe. And that was his intuitive signal to say, you're making the wrong decision. So when you have sort of, you understand, and this is how complex intuition is, which I had to find out, is because we don't understand what these four are. We ignore a number of signals. And even if we get that gut feeling or we get that voice, how do you know that's the first signal? If that's signal number three, that just means that you've made two bad decisions. So that two, those two bad decisions could be a stubbed toe or those two bad decisions could lead you to bankruptcy. Yeah, it seems like uh, it's kind of like learning your lesson, right? So the, the Absolutely. harder it takes, the louder you have to have somebody scream at you in order to, to learn your lesson, you know, the harder that, uh, that intuition or that lesson will knock on your door, so to speak. So Ab if, absolutely. You know, like, uh, I'll give you an example just from my childhood. Uh, I was seven years old. My parents got into business with somebody and my brother and I both said no. I wow. was I was seven. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not old enough to have a thought at this point, you know, because kids are meant to be seen and not heard, <laughs> at least back in probably our day, yeah. uh, a little bit more. But um, so my brother and I actually said this person you know, something is off. We didn't know what, obviously. We didn't even know how to explain it, but something was off. And uh, two years later, the guy ended up literally shutting the doors to the building that my parents had their offices in, wow. stealing, I think, a quarter million dollars worth of stuff. We had to sell the house my dad built. I mean, we basically were left wow. with nothing. Yeah. And... So two years later, when we're left with nothing, and I'm, I, I started studying uh, Buddhism. I was nine. I'm started studying Buddhism, Nichiren Shonen Buddhism. That's the Nam Myoho Renge Kyo uh, style. And, uh, and I, I start learning about karma, and I start learning about intuition and things like that. And yep. I go, hey, uh, my intuition has been shut down. <laughs> you know, um, how do we... And I'm going to just segue a little bit, but how do we stop ourselves, parents, et cetera, 
from shutting down the intuition of kids so that they don't turn that into a habit of shutting down their intuition as adults. So, so everything starts with you. Uh, and so you have to be the one to, first of all, be in touch with your intuition and recognize that these, there's these intuitive signals, recognize that some of us have gone down societal norms and it didn't turn out, uh, recognize that the people around us may not be the best uh, that, that are there. And so when there's a seven step process that I go through, uh, that takes you from basically taking a problem and solving it using your intuition. And two of them are really kind of cleaning up the people around you and cleaning up the environment you're in. I mean, those are two of the things. So you really have to take a hard look at who are those that are around you that are, are, uh, you know, giving you feedback. And it doesn't mean you have to take a hard, hard lesson and cut everybody out. You, there's going to be levels of people that you want in the inner circle and the outer circle, just to keep it very simple. The inner circle ones are the ones that are really going to be there for you through thick and thin, uh, through the ups and downs. And they're, they're genuinely there to move your life forward. They're not yes people. There are people that you know you'll get an honest uh, opinion from. So when you surround yourself with, with those type of people and learn about these things, about signals and create your environment that's positive, then you can do the same for everyone else. Um, because it doesn't make sense in you giving, uh, you know, advice to someone when you yourself are following societal norms. I mean, I have a, a friend like that, right? They know exactly about me and intuition and how I, I have that with my two kids. And I talk about it all the time at home and they roll their eyes. Uh, but, yeah, you know, th these other people recognize it and they're really good friends of ours. And we talk about it, how important it is, yet they're advising their kids of a societal norm. You have to go into medicine, you have to do this, right? And so that's the dichotomy, right? So you, on the one hand, they're talking about it from a conceptual perspective. On the other hand, from a practical perspective, they're doing something completely different. Now enter their kids who are in the environment because we're talking about this. And yes, you know, some of the kids that come over and we talk about intuition or something like that or decisions you have to make. And they get my aspect of, you know, uh, if it feels right, chasing your dreams, what's your passion, that kind of language. Then they go home and they hear something t totally, no, no, you're, you know, I mean, what is that nonsense? Uh, you, you know, yet we're talking about it. And so now you've left that, that child confused, so you really have to really understand it for yourself. And it's tough. It's really tough. You're going to get a lot of backlash, right? And, and you know, I, I enter discussions with some people and, and yeah, I, I mean, I get backlash because of my opinions, but I really don't care, right? Because my intuition, my intuitive path is for me. And if you look at my two kids and the impact that they've had, and, you know, my wife kind of go, uh, is sort of a traditionalist and all that stuff. And so we kind of go back and forth as well. But I'm pretty staunch. Like, you know, you don't have to do things because other people expect you to do it. You don't have to follow societal norms. And if you really want to go into, say, medicine, or if you really want to go into, to, uh, you know, become an artist, or if you really want to do dentistry, whatever it is, um, you make sure you want to do it because you love it. You're passionate about it. And I want to hear the language that is telling me that not just because you're saying it because X, Y, Z did it, or somebody's driving right. a new car, you know, and, and you're, uh, you know, Justin Reckla was talking about, I was just listening to his, his podcast episode. He was talking about, uh, and this, this was the one you just released uh, the full interview I was listening to. And he was talking about, we're so hung up on uh, money and house and cars and ex extremities, external motivations that we should be looking inside. And one of the things that I tell people is that the cost to you in making the wrong decision is actually double the cost. And here's why. The cost is if you make a bad decision, it's not only the time, effort, and in some cases, money lost on making that bad decision. But in that same instance, you can actually 
gain time, gain money, gain effort by making the right decision. And so it's actually two times the cost in terms of making a bad decision. And so when it comes to kids with my two girls, uh, so my eight-year-olds in both cases, uh, they've been able to move away from bullying incidents that they've seen the behavior they don't like. And I was actually really surprised that my oldest one was pretty, like her line was drawn in the sand. She was saying, I don't like that behavior whatsoever. And I was telling her, well, you should give that friend a second chance, uh, you know, just because, because she was pretty hard and that shocked me. Like, wow. And she like this, I think she was eight at the time. Mm-hmm. And so you should, you know, just see, give her a second chance because they were friends for a long time. Uh, and then sure enough, she, she's, and I said, the choice is up to you. And she agreed at one point her friend ended up coming over and giving lollipops and a big poster of when they spent time together. And I said, well, you know, I mean, she took the time to do that. So she clearly cares. Uh, And sure enough, that behavior came back. And so she said, I'm done. And I said, excellent. You got your, you got your uh, answer. So I should have had her trust her intuition, but my, uh, now she's 14. She's now running actually a nonprofit business by herself. Uh, where she uh, she actually paints and you can see her paintings behind those are her art and so she sells those to raise money for disabilities and illnesses she's raised over 20 grand in about a year and a half she has her own podcast series Um, she does all the back-end stuff she doesn't want my team to to work on it she wants to put the podcast together she's getting the guests she's sending the emails and it's all intuitively based like you just see the passion in it right you see the purpose you see the engagement and you can tell that this is really like she's loving that process. Yeah. That's what we have to teach our kids. That's what we have to teach ourselves. And that's where that consistency comes. And when you're acting like that and when your kids act like that, you attract people like that because you naturally repel others or you keep them at a distance because you make that decision. Right. They don't. So um, just because you mentioned Justin, uh, Justin's daughter, Neva Lee Rekla, has the podcast superpower kids wow and she teaches she she's a an author best-selling author she's been on stage uh in for ink magazine she's been rated as one of the most influential kids in america on entrepreneurship uh you might want to have your daughter check her show out and uh, and even possibly be on it um you know i know that that they enjoy that and uh Neva and my seven-year-old are like brother and sister. I mean, they just, they've known each other pretty much since he was a few months old. And when they met, they were like, just, they, they couldn't stop having each other, having enough of each other. So wow. it was, uh, it was a beautiful thing, but um, yeah, Neva's, Neva's amazing. And, yeah, uh, and write so that down. if your daughter's doing that, that would be awesome. And yep. uh, I highly recommend that. Um, that being said, what's the difference if hindsight is 2020, what is foresight? So you have to be careful with foresight. So people kind of get into manifestation and things like that. So that is something that can happen. It, now, it all depends on how, how open you are to intuition and the power of it. And uh, so, so like some people want to really hang on the research and the research is simply not there yet. If you're open to saying that intuition and your brain is a lot more powerful than we think or that we can measure. So there's been a lot of instances in the people I've interviewed where they've manifested something or they've, they believe that something can happen mm-hmm. and they, and that happens. And the process to do this is, is like this from my, from my perspective, 
you can have a goal that you want. Make sure that's good, that goal is realistic. Um, and, and so like, you know, you don't want to hang your hat on, you know, I'm going to make a million dollars because that's an extrinsic goal. What's the intrinsic goal? What, what is really your purpose? And when you have your purpose and you want to affect people at a certain level, the, the laggard indicator, so to speak, could be the million dollars. So that's okay, but it's really driven by purpose, which is a future goal. What intuition helps you do is it helps you take the steps in the present moment based on your signals that are going to help you connect with the right people, open the right doors of opportunity, take the right decisions in whatever situation that you're in so that you meet your, your, your purpose, which is really driven by a passion. It has to be your passion. It has to be internal. Uh, and when the purpose is to affect, as it, in my case, it's affect as many people as I want. In Avni's case, uh, it's, it's help as many people with disabilities and illnesses as they, as they can. In my other daughter's case, Divya, it's you know, simply having a happy life, right? So there's different purposes that we all have. And so that passion has to match with purpose. And when you trust your intuition in the moment and take those steps in the moment guided by your intuitive signals, you start reaching those goals. And the best example I can give with this is uh, at least the one that I, w- I had was there was, there was a fellow that, I, that um, has cerebral palsy. And I went down to Toronto to, inv- in, uh, to interview him uh, on leadership. Uh, because he's pretty high up in one of the banks. Uh, and what he was saying is he got a chance to go on the beach. Of course, you know, he's always been in a wheelchair and, you know, he got onto the beach and people lifted him up because he wanted to put his feet in the water for this for the first time. And he got up and he fell flat on his face in the water and he was embarrassed. He looked back and he just said, oh, my, my, there's that intuitive moment that says I'm done versus no. I'm going to take the next steps because just because I make mistakes, I'm going to learn from those mistakes, but it's the actions that matter. And they took one more step, one more step, and he kept going forward. And when he looked back, he couldn't believe how far he had come with this dream of just actually being in the water. And he was pointing, his water was up to his chin. So he didn't look back. And so that's where the foresight came in, right? Because he actually took that step and he took the next step and he took the next step. And he reached where he needs to reach. And that's where he looked back. People sit there dreaming of things like that and, and actually making, uh, you know, taking the time. They don't take the action. They don't take the steps. They don't trust their intuition to do that. And there's some statistics actually gathered from Gallup and Harvard. And you look at people actually raising their hand saying, I want to make a change. There's in a room full of 25,000 people that are actually saying, yes, I'm going to join that course. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take this. I'm going to, I'm going to change my life. Uh, in that room full of 25,000, the actual number of people that do it statistically is one. So that means 24,999 people say they're going to do it, but they don't. So the question is, why aren't you that one? Right. So let me kind of take this in a, in a interesting angle, but Let's take. Let's say we're we're uh, we're working on people's, you know, level of intuition when it comes to things like politics. When it comes mm-hmm. to things like um, what it is in the world that should be being done, 
and mm-hmm. what's not being done. So like we have politicians that probably have a lot of intuition that they ignore because of whatever interests. Uh, we have a lot of people who would be activists. So like, this show is a lot about how to activate that vision for a better world. And a lot of people who are passionate about something don't necessarily have the action that goes along with it. They might have the intuition to do that action, but the fear stops them. So let's just kind of get into that a little bit. I want to get yeah. really dirty with it. You know, yeah. like let's get into the, the weeds a little bit more. Yep. Yeah. So there's four intuitive hurdles that really squash your ability to listen to the, to your intuitive signals and they scramble it. And you talked about one, which is fear. And there's actually three branches of fear. There's the fear of failure, there's the fear of the unknown and there's the fear of change. Uh, and so what happens is you have this intuitive signal and it's different from the fear of, you know, being eaten by a saber toothed tiger, right? So if you've got that, that's coming in, that's one fear, but these are where the signals are very important in coming up. So if you fear taking that first step, if you already know what your basket of positive and negative signals are by looking at the past and um, you look at the good decisions you made, and you looked at the bad decisions you've made, and you've really broken them down. You've now got a really nice inventory of signals. And so if you fear taking that step, you sit in the moment and you think about what is my intuition telling me? And, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, you can talk about it or you can just sit and think about it, right? If that signal is positive, then you take that step, right? And then the next step and the next step. And pretty soon you start breaking that fear down because you get that confidence. Uh, And if it's not the right one and you go down the wrong path, then you haven't done a very good job of checking in your negative signals because maybe there's a signal that uh, you haven't uh, brought up as a negative signal, or you're not paying too much attention to the negative signal because it's really subtle. And because it was subtle, you ignored it the first time. So this is where you really need to take the time to figure out what your signals are. So fear is one of them. The second intuitive hurdle is it's called ego. And there's two types of ego. The one ego is narcissism, where you're talking without any experience. Of course, your intuition is saying you're BSing. Uh, the other side of ego is following the herd. So societal norms uh, is one where you follow the mantra, follow the herd, even though it goes against your values, even though that's not what you didn't want to do. Uh, me going into engineering is not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, and so I followed the herd and I wasted three years of my life in engineering. And it could have been three years I could have spent chasing an entrepreneurial dream. Um, and so that's the, the second one. The third one, which comes up a lot in relationships is being way too emotional. Uh, and when you're way too emotional, you upset the balance between being emotional and logic. Um, and then you start talking yourself out of, you know, leaving a relationship or getting away from this person or, uh, or things like that. And the fourth one is called being too rational. And so this is where, you know, logic dictates, you know, somebody's being logical to you. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, even though it's, it's pulling you away from what you're really meant to do. Um, and so those are the four hurdles that come up. And what those hurdles do is they take, again, they take that positive intuitive signal and they, it squashes it if you don't recognize when those hurdles are coming up. And so this is where you start getting to fear and you start getting into, or we talked about extrinsic motivation, uh, you know, or politicians wanting to, to be in the limelight or have a party, or maybe they're doing it for the money. I, I really don't know what some of their motivations may be. Um, but then they start being deceptive, right? They're still, they're, they're uh, you know, want to be with corporations. These are just things I've seen in the media that come out. Uh, these aren't necessarily my beliefs, but right. 
but this is what happens when you get, get into sort of these, these practices where you're looking at uh, extrinsic motivators is you're just wasting your time because you're, you're moving in a direction that's not really meant for you. Uh, and you don't have to be rich. You have to, uh, it monetarily, you need to be rich inside. Uh, you know, I, I had a, Steve Sims was on my, uh, my podcast interview and we talked about extrinsic motivation. Um, and, you know, this is the guy that was surrounded by Robert Redford and Elton John and all these people at this huge thing. Uh, and he got the watch and the suit and the, he, uh, you know, got a Ferrari and all that stuff. And he was just saying, I just wasn't me. Right? Who is this this flake that took me over? And yes, he you know he he's having a, you know ha- he's got his arms around all these actors, right. but they they intuition is a two way street. So as much as his intuition is saying something, the intuition of others is also looking to him, and they're probably saying this guy is a flake. So we're not going to do business with him, and they're not going to tell him that. And he started telling me when we talked about extrinsic motivation. He started telling me about a client of his that was so rich he had three jets. And he wanted to get the fourth jet, but he couldn't afford it. So he killed himself. So now that's an extreme example of extrinsic motivation. But we can all take these mini extreme examples of things that we hang our hat on. uh, Square footage, house, how it's going to look. Uh, what brand should I buy? Uh, you know, and, and we do it for the wrong motivations. If there's a brand you like because it fits nice, it's and you just you know that you know internally whether you're doing it for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons. You know, right? And so a lot of people will default sometimes to looking good, or you know, and and, and unfortunately that's a dopamine hit. Right, it's the wrong so, one. So we have we have this uh, this whole society i've been watching the social dilemma and silicon valley and some of these shows and we we've created an entire society that's based on external motivation and external reward versus internal motivation internal reward uh you see you know the the uh proliferation of the selfie is a perfect example of of this uh it's all about how am I looking? And filters. I mean, gosh, the filters. It's all about how am I looking to the outside world, even though inside I'm getting ready to go kill myself or I'm, I'm yeah. depressed or I'm whatever. But I, I'm going to put out this look to the world that says that I'm something I'm not. And, you know, you know it's funny because my intuition, you know, tells me a lot. I, I, I tend to pay attention more than I don't. Yep. Although, you know, there's definitely that, that level of intuition that I could use a deeper um, recognition of. But, uh, you know, I'll give you a, a, an example of, of intuition. I, I was uh, in the hospital dead for 26 minutes before they brought me back. I'm 18 years old. And three days later, I wake up in the hospital bed. I sit up and I turned and I looked at, I don't remember who it was, but either my brother or my mom or something. And I said, I think I need to be a healer. Wow. Now, if I had stopped there, my entire life would have, completely shifted 
And I probably, like my family, would have gone to a university, would have, you know, my brother's a triple major, double minor in four years, master's in one. I mean, you know, my mom's a teacher. Education was, was important. Instead of going to a college, I went to a massage school. Mm-hmm. Like, but I had to go from the idea in the hospital of, I think I need to be a healer, to... I'm sending out letters. I'm doing an action based on my intuition. Mm. And then from there, the intuition led me to the next place. The, yeah. the, in, you know, the intuition is like you get into that flow state versus yes. getting um, like most people, which is pounding through walls, right? Yes. We're, we're obstacle driven versus flow driven. Um, and every time I've done anything against my intuition, which is often I become, (laughs) you know, this obstacle buster versus somebody who's like laying down in the flow. So just kind of talk about that a little bit, because, you know, I would not have been who I am. I probably would not have been able to work with the kind of athletes and professionals and, you know, people in my world that I've. I've been blessed to uh, have an opportunity to have an effect on. Yeah. But that was all because of that intuition and then the action that went next to it. Absolutely. And, and so even as you're describing it, like I can even just imagine you, you sitting up and it's actually playing in my head, you turning your head. Uh, and to me, it's, it's turning to the right. So I'm, I'm seeing you do this and I can just imagine the look on the faces of people who just like, what? You want to be a healer. And that's when you start succumbing to people that don't really understand why or don't want to take the time to figure out why or to support you in that why moving you forward. So that's where people normally could get stuck in that scene or in that situation. When you start trusting your intuition, being in that flow state, now you're seeing doors of opportunity open up. And so they're small, but there's these three or four doors that come in and you open them up. So for you going into uh, massage, I can see a whole bunch of people looking at that story going, what is he doing? Right. And so, so many people are going to succumb to these external pressures and, you know, these voices where they don't really uh, understand the context around who you are. Because every story comes with some kind of a context. Right. Um, You know, and, and, and so this is where... You just have to, again, that state of flow, you know where it's going, going and it feels easy, right? And you've just said it. So you've, you've, there's your positive signal, that state of flow. What happens is if, if you meet a door that's not the one that you want to get into, there's an uneasiness uh, to it. And your language has already tells me you're pounding through. So just by the nature of your language, you're telling me the nature of that signal already, right? And so you can feel that signal, right? I can feel it. You can give me whatever words, but in me, I'm feeling that flow. In me, I'm feeling that that angst or uh, there's a pushing against me. And and that that's that initial thing that you have to look at. And you don't worry about everybody else. Um, and don't and recognize that things are going to change, right? I mean, you've gone from, uh, you know, almost well dying to being um, a massage therapist. And now, you know, athletes and all these really wonderful people trusting you for advice for their performance. Uh, and now you're looking at some high-level high elite people coming to you, right? right? So look at the value of that based on 
the journey you took. So when we talk about looking back and looking forward, as we talked about earlier, all you did was look forward and you kept going down the path. Now, when you look back, of course, these people are going to trust you because you followed your intuition to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, nobody, everybody makes mistakes. I still, I, you know, as much as I talk about intuition, yeah, you know, I get emotional with my family. I get emotional with friends. Um, you know, I'll make some decisions. I'll test something out at, even though I knew that I shouldn't have. And I did that with a venture that I said, oh, this is not going to work, but let's test it because I heard some things from some friends that it's a great venture. It ended up being the wrong partner and it just wasn't, but, and I sunk a tiny bit of money in to test my intuition. And sure enough, you know, I test my intuition. So, uh, you know, even me talking about it, uh, it is, are going to go through ups and downs, but there's a lot more ups yes. than the downs. And, and I don't have to be popular. Uh, I'm not looking to change the world, uh, you know, as a whole, I'm just looking to change one person at a time and that's it. And to me, that's how I'm going to live my life. Right. Yeah. I, I'm not looking to get, make it in Forbes or, you know, men's journal or whatever it is. If those opportunities come because people are interested in hearing my story, that's the intuitive path, but I'm not looking there for egotistical reasons to say, look at who I am. Right. And if you get back to social media, uh, right. With these people that, you know, somebody posted this two days ago uh, where they, they spent money on an influencer that had 8 million followers 8 million followers. The number of sales that this person had after spending, I don't know, $50,000 was something like 26. Right. And I've heard that consistent. Somebody had, you know, 10 million followers. They wanted to sell shirts, six sales. And it's because when you have that social media, when you're looking at eye candy, yeah. Okay. Maybe some of us are going to stop at that eye candy and go, wow, that's great. But you don't have a deep and deep enough a relationship with someone that are going, that's deep enough to say you're consistent in your messaging uh, like even if you stop on on something, you see these charlatans on social media. I'm going to make a million dollars. You can make a million dollars or a thousand dollars or whatever. Get twenty thousand followers, whatever it is. You get this messaging. It may pause you, saying, "Yeah, I want that." And then when you dig a bit deeper, you find that there's some inconsistencies in either what they're saying or who their clients are or the testimonials. Because I do this research, um, or you know maybe something's not right. Something's not lining up. Um, and if you if if there's something that's inconsistent. Now you've lost that deepening relationship. Like you really have to be consistent in that relationship to deep it to a two-way trusted intuitive relationship that my intuition is saying you can be trusted, your intuition is saying I can be trusted. When that's two-way, now I'm ready to spend my money on you or spend my time with you or spend my effort with you because I trust you. And that trust has to be consistent. If your values change over time, my intuition is going to pick up on that. So you can be in the perfect relationships to start business or personal. But don't forget, we're two different people. I may be more in tune with your intuition. You may not be. And if you start screwing up somewhere down the road, don't forget my intuition, my relational intuition and situational intuition is constantly watching. Right. And so once you, there's a dichotomy, my negative signals are going to send warning signs to say, listen, maybe I, we should back off. Yeah. So, so the song, as you're talking, comes to my head. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sing it even though yep. I, I can't do it justice. Jaded. Yes. Aerosmith, yep. jaded. Yep. Right. So, yep. okay. We have intuition. We get jaded. We get once. Intuition still jaded twice. Yep. Intuition still jaded three times. All of a sudden, how do you trust your, your intuition anymore if you're can constantly becoming jaded? So, I'll give you an example. Yep. I think that I am jaded when it comes to pretty much 
any digital marketer at this point in time. Mm -hmm. I think that the digital marketing world, for the most part, has become this fraudulent thing that, uh, you know, purports on basically procedures versus results, just like the medical system. (laughs) You know, the incentive is if I post three times a day, then you pay me this amount. But if I post five, which doesn't take me any more time to do, then it's a totally different amount. And I don't care what your results are because I can't guarantee them. You know, so I'm, I'm fully jaded when it comes to that world at this point. Yeah. So I'll give you, and this is right up my alley because this is something I've been looking at, uh, you know, because that's part of the business model that I have, you know, there's a digital marketing element to it. So when I, uh, and this has taken a number of years because of the, the jadedness and the number of charlatans that are out there and people that I've trusted that some of them have, uh, you know, I've taken my money because they were trusting at some point, but then you find out later that, hmm, you know, this is not so, so, uh, so valuable because I can get that free information anywhere else. Right some of the things that I've looked at is when they come up and they say, I can do your, you know, Facebook, uh, I'm, I'm a digital marketing expert. Okay. So what's their digital marketing footprint? So they're good in Facebook. What's their Instagram say? What's their um, uh, YouTube say? And I'll take a look at the numbers and some of the clients numbers who they say, and in some cases when they have testimonials, I've actually looked at the people where the testimonials are coming from, if I can. And some of them uh, like just, yeah, I don't see that success. Uh, I don't see this. Uh, and in one case, um, there was, I had a podcast guest where he had some really excellent numbers uh, on YouTube. Uh, and when the, when the cameras were off, I asked him about his, uh, like, uh, was she really uh, someone who, and, and why, right? If, if you spent money on someone for YouTube advice, why did you do that? And I'm looking and listening to what, what he was saying. Uh, so is it marketing speak or does he really, is he really telling me uh, the truth? Because in the end, it's my money and it's my time. Um, and another one I've seen again, uh, what's, what's, uh, I'm trying, I just had a, a really good example. Um, shoot, I wish I had, uh, anyways, it may come to me, but it, it's again, it's, it's the inconsistency, uh, in what they're saying versus what they're doing, or it's one niche that they've really, really been, been good at. It's not my niche or they've been good in one area. They've had one hit. What's one home run doesn't make them a great baseball player. Uh, and so I'm looking for those kind of consistencies and inconsistencies because ultimately, uh, you know, I want to put my 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 money where I want, uh, where I'm going to get the best best bang for right. my buck. But, but that sounds a lot like assessing a situation and environment and ins- assessing the into assessing the environment versus utilizing intuition, right? So intuition to me is that inner voice, while what you're talking about is looking at the external evidence. And so that's where yeah. I'm, where I, I, I'd like to, so the, what, what I'm hearing you say is you take the intuition, you match it with evidence before you make that decision, right? And yes. so, so I'm not sure if that's what you're saying. That's just what I'm hearing. Yeah, so, so I'll always get the first instance of whether I trust this person or not. So the very, very first time I see an ad or the very first time I see someone doing well, or I hear a podcast interview of somebody doing something, I'll try and get a sense of whether I believe that person or not. Uh, if I don't believe that person right at the start, uh, then it, it, that person's lost me. I'm not even going to dive any, any more deeper. But for me, to, I need to believe that person. Remember, there's the four types of intuition. And so, uh, so the first one is relational intuition is going to be 
me trusting that person right away. And the second was situational is uh, if, if I find they're in a, like a fancy beach uh, and a car, those kind of things that are tried and true, are they using mantras that everybody said you should do that? Like some people waving high to get your attention. And, you know, there's some real stupid things that are out there that are just, that they're not deepening my relationship. So if they've got me enough that I see this person is genuine and I'm going to get a deep enough relationship with, and I trust them, I'll make the, take the next step and say, okay, let's see what experiential intuition has to do with this uh, before I move on. And it, it, that, it takes, it's very quick. Uh, it, for me, it's, it's really, you know, if I, somebody comes up, I hear someone in the podcast, I will note their name down. I will quickly stop the podcast and I'll take a look. Within one minute, I'll know whether I want to dive deeper into what this person is saying or not. Right. So 60 seconds is what I give myself. And the research actually shows it takes seven seconds to trust someone, seven seconds. And other research was showing, this is older research, that your intuition acts actually at that time, seven to 10 seconds before you actually make a decision or take an action. Neurology research that's coming up, neuroscience research that's coming up, it hasn't been published yet. That's as up to 23 seconds before you actually make a decision. So for me, I'm giving myself a bit of time to uh, really confirm uh, my intuitive, uh, should I dive deeper or not? Uh, and for me, it's 60 seconds versus right. uh, I think rather than, you know, a couple of days or four days. And if I, if I don't get that within that 60 seconds, it's gone. I don't care what that person is selling me uh, later or if they get recommended by someone else because that intuitive hit in my mind is really deep. Um, and so that's why I, really don't listen to a lot of them. I mean, there's so many pitches up there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go into the animal kingdom for a second because you, yep. you mentioned the neurology. Yep. You know, we all know that a dog can kind of predict an earthquake a couple days yep. in advance. Yep. Um, and we all know that we're animals, even though we try to pretend that we're not, right? Yep. So... Is that a function of intuition or is that a function of sensory? If it's a function of sensory, how does somebody increase their sensory perception in order to increase their intuition? And if that is possible at all. And then I want to talk a little bit. I know that you and I talked in our pre-interview about the, the uh, Native Americans. So I want to talk about the neurology and I want, to, I, want to, I want to get into the fMRIs, what parts of the brain kind of light up when you're being uh, intuitive. Is it a different part of the brain when the intuition is positive or negative? So let's get into kind of the weeds of that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so the when you're thinking about, and I think this is a great example with uh, with the dogs and all that, because animals are naturally a little bit more intuitive. They're a lot more. There's a heightened sensitivity to their their environment, and so I think physiologically they're much better than we are, uh, or neurologically they're much better than we are. They are better adept at sensing and triggering on that sensing. Uh, than we are. We seem to be more consumed with everything else around us. We've got a lot more things bombarding us um, that we seem to numb that initial sensing, that the real intuitive signal saying something's wrong. And we have a tendency to keep moving. Maybe it's curiosity. Uh, maybe we're just numb to the initial signals, whatever it is. We have this, this innate ability to just keep moving on until we keep making bad decisions. And we seem to want to learn from failure a lot more. Whereas animals have that heightened sense 
uh, neurologically. And so they're able to be much more in tune with, uh, with their intuition. And so we were talking on the pre-interview as well. When I had this indigenous uh, person join me, uh, on intuition, he was saying that what they used to do is look to the animals because the animals sensed danger a couple of days before uh, they did. And at that time, you know, they didn't have cars and things like that. They just had a couple of days warning that they had to pick up, uh, you know, pack everything and move because there was some kind of danger that was there. And they're not going to sit around saying what that sum is. They're just going to move. Um, and so it's very, very important for them to do that. Right. So we were talking on the pre-interview about the Native Americans yeah, and uh, how in Vietnam during the war may have even been Korea. I don't, I don't remember if, if it was both, but uh, they would have the uh, Native Americans who joined the military and were known for their tracking skills. But because it's the military, they would shave off their hair. Yeah. And when they would go into the jungle, they wouldn't be able to do the tracking like they had been before. So as we're tracking the enemy and we're trying to be the scouts, so to speak, not to put a uh, <laughs> defamatory uh, you know, title on anything, but uh, Indian scouts would go out for the military and try to find the enemy and, and so on. And they couldn't do it. But what they found when they studied that is that the only difference between them being able to track well and not track well was the length of their hair. And if they allowed them to grow back their hair, all of a sudden they were able to track again. So the, the hair follicles attached to the nervous system, we have these muscles called the erector pili, which otherwise are known as goosebumps. And we have these sayings like, the hair on the back of my head is standing up. So we know that hair has a sensory perception on the environment. And what do we say? If somebody's nervous, if somebody's nervous, like my hair standing up, yeah. you get the, the arm, your, you know, those goosebumps on your arm, you get the chills, right? These are signals to intuition, are they not? Yes, they are. And, and so, uh, and I, I, when we got off the, uh, the phone, I, I was immediately went to my wife and I, and I told her about that story because, and, and my daughters, I, it's just absolutely fascinating. But here's where, where people uh, may want to try and understand what intuition is like from a scientific perspective. Uh, we all know that everything is consists of energy. Yeah, right. And so we've got, uh, you know, atoms and protons and neurons moving around and they, they, they develop some kind of energy. And Kerwin Ray explained intuition in back in 2007 using sort of energetic type of things. And we all know that uh, even uh, every, any material, uh, there's, there's, it's mass and energy. Um, and so when you have hair that's a little longer, uh, you've got a lot more energy around you that affects you, that's able to pick up on things, that are able to sense things. Uh, and so there's also another uh, famous experiment that uh, one of the neurologists did. I forget his name now, but he had people who had their limbs cut off and used things like mirror neurons in the front to see them in uh, a mirror where they can actually now see the other limb, although it's not there, and feel okay. So these things called mirror neurons are sending some kind of energy so that it's just giving, it's settling their systems down. And so another question I used to ask on some, to some of my podcast guests is, were you ever connected to someone where you knew something 
had gone wrong. And so one of Nick Bradley was on saying, yeah, he knew his dog got shot and he was nowhere close. Someone had his, knew his father had cancer. Someone knew that there, uh, you know, somebody fell in a pool and they're halfway around the world. So if you look at equating this to some kind of an emotional connection uh, energetically between now the mirror neurons and that other person, that's carried in some kind of memory in your brain so that you're not physically there, but you're energetically connected at a very fast pace, irrespective of the distance. Um, and so if, you're, if you allow yourself to open your mind to that, then a lot of these things can be explained. So how can we energetically then connect to the collective unconscious and the collective consciousness? And I know uh, this is a thing like with twins, they always know what's going on with their other half, uh, you know, those kinds of things. But we also know that some kid woke up one day and remembered that he was you know, in the 1940s war and he knew exactly who he fought in the war with. Yep. And they were still alive. And then he met them like this. I, I remember reading this story. It was wow. really fascinating. This kid, you know, has basically past life is like many lives, many masters. Great book, by the way. Um, you know, you have these, this past life. He's actually telling the soldiers who are now in their 80s, and he's a young kid, about their experiences that he had with them during the war. Wow. And so that energetic connection, we call it that this is their old life that they're energetically connected to. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Dead Again. It's got Robin Williams, Kenneth Branagh, and it's about people who die in, in a previous life and find each other in the next, in their next life, but they meet somebody else who was alive in their, in both lives. Yep. <laughs> um, so it's a theme, I guess, that, that I'm always interested in, intrigued by, but that collective conscious, collective unconscious, that energetic pull that we have, The question is, why can't we seem to get that intuition more developed, I guess, after these many thousands of years, being that we're so connected by wires these these days, right, Mm -hmm. and wireless, Mm -hmm. and then where is it that in the neurons, where is it in the brain, in those connections that we light up? you know, with intuition. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So from, from a neurological perspective, the big thing is the amygdala and, and just above the amygdala on the, on the, both sides of the brain. Uh, and I can always share with you a, um, uh, an MRI that I have, uh, if you want to use it for your purposes, but where they mapped intuition, but the big one comes up into amygdala. So when the neurons come up, the amygdala is the first thing. That's where you kind of feel uh, it's the first fight or flight. Everything happens from there. And then it branches off from there. So that's one of the main areas where intuition really lights up in a couple of uh, things so in the front. That's really the reptilian side. Exactly. Exactly. The reptilian side. That's, that's the first sort of point of contact, if you will. Um, and, and you're right with the, uh, you know, with this, where things are passed down. Uh, I actually did interview a Buddhist monk. 
Uh, and Bunty Sarnapala had, had believed that intuition gets passed down from generation to generation um, because it's energy. And, and I think the reason why we don't, as you, you've kind of said it, we're in this wireless, wired um, world. We've got societal norms. We're always trying to keep up with the Joneses. And we just haven't spent that time with ourselves. And a lot of intuitive moments have come from those just, you know, going to India or being with themselves and going to India is more symbolic of just really getting in touch with themselves. I mean, Steve Jobs did it. I uh, interviewed this Johannes Lindstedt, who is a major jazz player, has won uh, tons of awards. Intuition just drives his music and he's got millions of downloads and, you know, everything changed after he went to India, right? Yeah. And this is as you the know, Beatles too, the Beatles story. The Beatles, absolutely. And and so that India is, is symbolic of you just spending that time with yourself. And if you look at even the research in epigenetics, um, where you're looking at things that are passed down from one generation to another, there's a very famous study where they took mice. And what they did is when this, the, this mice came to this, this type of flower, a cherry blossom flower that had some kind of almond smell, it was very, very particular they would shock the, the feet of these mice uh, it, to the point where they didn't need to shock the feet anymore, that they just came up to the, that flower and they, they just jolted. And it turns out that the next generation, they didn't have to do anything. Every time that the, the, the babies went to this same flower, they jolted, right? So there's that line of epigenetics saying, okay, we have some things in our genes that we've been conditioned to in this lifetime that we're going to pass on to the next uh, generation. Uh, we just don't know what that is or what that map is. I'm sure everybody would love to do that because then we kind of act like robots and say that I'm doing this for my son or daughter. Uh, but there's some evidence there that, that you can correlate to say that, yes, you know, intuition does get passed down. Um, and, but it, it, it all depends on how you're going to be affected. Like I can pass down my intuitive abilities to my kids but it depends on what their influences are. They're in, in school eight hours. Well, now they're at home. Uh, they've got other friends. They've got other influences. How do they as an individual react to all those other influences, even though I've given them the, this gift of intuition, uh, however minor or major, they've taken it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really up to them as an individual as to how they manage that, how much they fail and figure out they got to come back to intuition. I mean, I'm lucky that I'm able to talk to this, talk about this to my two daughters, but it, I mean, how rare is that, right? right? I mean, nobody talked to me about intuition. I, and I had an intuitive hit at five years old. When I was five, my dad had video games that, I, that were too expensive. And this voice told me, that's not what you want to go uh, here. And you need to go door to door to raise money. And that's what I did. I took my little brother in tow. I went door to door. I raised 200 bucks. $100 went to my dad. $100 went to charity. I couldn't sat down, uh, sit down for probably about 15 or 20 minutes after that because my dad didn't believe in, in uh, uh, you know, bothering people. But I so distinctly remember that voice loud and clear. I remember what I'm looking at, where I was, where my house was. It is so vivid. And at five years old, right? right. You at seven, right? Yeah. I, I, I look at that and I go, what is the cost? And, and this is directed towards the audience. And by the way, you know, all of these shows that we do are for you listening so that you really can get these techniques and tips and tricks so that you can spend your life living the passionate life that you want and activating your vision. So I just wanted to repeat that you know, for anybody to like, subscribe, rate, review, but mostly to comment on on these shows so that we can actually have a dialogue and conversation about 
what we're talking about. So um, back to that. So what it sounds like to me when you're saying that is that intuition beyond just the, the training, beyond the genetics can be learned, what can be taught, can be, you know, focused on. But what it is that I'm hearing is I'm hearing in my head, but I have to look at all my emails, but I have to, you know, check my social media and my Instagram, but I have to watch the latest show of this, but I have to, and, and mind you, I don't have a TV. So this is not in my, right. you know, realm, but this is the, the, the argument that I'm hearing from the masses, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and that's why I bring it up to the audience. But the argument I hear from the masses are, but, 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 but I have to do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I've been a sweat lodge goer and uh, vision quester and, and things like that. And so I've spent a lot of time with myself. Uh, I, I've been divorced and I spent a lot of time with myself and a mirror wailing and crying for hours and hours and hours, right? I've spent a lot of time by myself and I still don't know who I am, you know, and who I want to be when I grow up. I know I want to have a cool impact on the world. I don't really care if I have the credit for it. I just want to see it done, right? My goal is we need to get some shit done And it's time for us to really move on that and create it today, you know, create our new tomorrow today and activate our vision now for a better world. And so I've got that, this passion about doing more. I don't care about the credit. And I know, I remember, you know, earlier in the conversation, you were talking about that, but for the audience, you know, like spending time alone. So what, what, one of the things that, my uh, my shaman told me during a sweat lodge one time is is um, he said eighteen seconds of pure meditation is equivalent to an entire week of work. Wow! And this was from a Zen monk that used to go to the sweat lodge, <laughs> and he would say that he would get into a deeper state of meditation in the sweat lodge than he would just by trying to meditate according to Hoyle, so to speak, just be, you know, you're in a dark room and you really don't have anything you can look at or see or focus on other than the, those hot stones and the steam and the heat. But, um, 18 seconds of pure thought equivalent to one full week of work. Wow. And I think that if people understood how important that hour of meditation and planning before and at the end of your day, you know, half hour before, half hour at the end, whatever, whatever it is, time-wise, that little bit of time to meditate on what your day is going to be, to ask the question. My friend uh, Keith, he's a, a journalist, a book author, publisher. I mean, he, he's awesome. His latest book is um, about the angels. And walking, it's called Walking with the Angels. And one of the things that he's done, and this has been probably 15, 20 years that I've known him, he's done this all the time, is he'll start off his day 
and he'll just ask a question. What do I do next to move me forward in the best way, the fastest? What's my next step? And then he doesn't do anything but wait and listen. Mm-hmm. And he's been a very successful publisher who's, you know, published over 300 plus books, 400 books. He's, you know, friends with all the people that other people would want to be friends with. Right. Yep. But he doesn't care about that. It was, what do I do today to move me forward the best way that I can? And so I look at that and I go, okay, how do we get, and, and I know I, I'm, I'm definitely a person who's a should, I should on people. And how do I get people to, right? <laughs> but how do we get people to realize how powerful taking that extra time from doing and into being and asking how important that is? And then the listening. So I just wanted to... I know I rambled for a little bit. Yeah, no, no problem. So, know. so I found that there's four groups of people that uh, that 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 fall into this. If we're looking at at, at uh, trusting intuition, there's going to be the very minor that get it. They get the intuitive signals. Uh, more often, they're they're making um, your decisions on intuition, like Keith. Uh, and I would uh, I would surmise even yourself, you're at a at a higher level of trusting your intuition uh, than others. So that's the, that's the first group. The second group is one that, you know, show me proof uh, that it happens. And unless they have the proof that they won't even move forward. Um, and so once they have it, that's sort of the whole reason for my second book, Gut, was to, okay, here's some MRIs to show that it's just not my opinion, uh, but it, here's some MRIs. And then here's some people I've interviewed because this is what they've also experienced. And so that was the whole reason or premise of Gut is to, to kind of prove to those people. Uh, the, the third group I find are those that, you know, just, they just don't understand intuition. Like they get the feelings, but they don't understand what it is. And a really good example is uh, a friend of mine who is John Rothschild, uh, chairman and CEO of, of Kara Foods Limited. At the time I interviewed him about uh, four years now, four, four and a half years back. And he was very, my very first interview, uh, interviewee with Intuitionology. Um, he, and he just said, listen, you know, so I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. Intuition, fine. You know, I'll give you an hour. Uh, but we'll talk about intuition five minutes and yeah, maybe we'll have a latte for the rest of the time uh, and catch up. Um, and so he, at that time, a lot of the research was sort of spiritual nature and cosmic. And, and that's fine. If that's what you think intuition is, absolutely. I'm not here to shove any definition down how you think intuition feels or where it comes from. That's not my goal. For him, he is an investment banker. And so data, Excel spreadsheets, modeling ruled his world. I mean, that paid him three to $4 million a year. So he's not going to think, oh, I omens and all that. And he actually says in the video, you can hear, he says, yeah, omens. I, I really would like to shake the guy, guy's hand who has that intuition. Yeah, it doesn't really come into decisions. So that's at the start of the interview. Now I'm starting to slowly educate him that about the four types of intuition and that it is based on data. And in some cases, you'd make decisions that you feel that go against the data. And he goes, oh, 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 I have, an, I have an example of that. So he's filling the blanks with all these stories of his, and he's almost self-educating himself 
on intuition. And he, and so when he went against the data, he opened a franchise, which in a five and a half location where he would never touch it unless it was a nine, that franchise location ended up being one of the best in their restaurant portfolio ever in their 20 year history. And at the very, very last one hour in, I said, okay, when have you made a really obtuse decision that people thought you were nuts? And this is that creative intuition piece. And he says, oh, I've got a story for you. So this is a guy making three to $4 million a year, private jets, high-end restaurants, limousines, and he trades it all off because his intuition says, here's a bankrupt little restaurant. This is your purpose. And I'm sure his friends were you know, on the speed dial with some psychiatrists saying, I have a client for you, uh, you know, because people thought he was nuts. And he said, no, I quit. And I walked in to that restaurant. That tiny bankrupt little restaurant was Eastside Mario's location number one. And that grew, he grew that over 20 years to a $2 billion franchise operation with the acquisitions and all based on an intuitive decision. And the fourth group are unfortunately those people that have to hit rock bottom before they actually find out that intuition is actually speaking to them, the signals. And, and I've heard this time and time and time again. And perhaps, uh, again, one of my earlier interviews was someone who, yeah, I don't know intuition, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to be on camera. And so I said, okay, listen, let's get on camera. Don't worry about film crew. We'll make it conversational. And the question then starts coming. I said, uh, uh, when, when, did you, uh, when did intuition impact your life? And she looks right at me and she goes, well, the moment I trusted intuition was because I ignored it which got me sexually assaulted. That was the very first statement. And the next 45 minutes, we all go down the different four types of intuition where we're all, where were all the signals, where was the situational intuition, where's the relational intuition. And of course we didn't say it in those formal terms, but all the evidence was there. And the time and time again, once the evidence was presented, I should have, I shouldn't have kept coming. And she just kept walking and walking and walking because she felt she needed to be a good friend. Other people were saying she should be there. All these external things, and she wasn't listening to it. And she was telling me, I knew, I knew, I knew all these different details. She knew she should, she should have moved away. And, pretty, and this is a bodybuilder, uh, right? She was, uh, she was competing, yet this guy was still able to overpower her and assault her. So, yeah, uh, you, know, you know, those are the four groups. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've unfortunately and fortunately... Uh, because of my background, have having been sexually assaulted, and uh, you know, from age three uh, into my teens, wow. multiple people, multiple ways, multiple times. Um, one of my focuses was working with PTSD and emotional release and trauma work, and I've I've had the blessing of working with a lot of women and a couple men, not not very many men, but uh, a lot of women on that issue, uh, you know, and it's funny because this is a very controversial way of, of doing the work. I kind of combine Tantra and deep emotional release and breath work with psychedelics. So, mm -hmm. uh, mushroom or something of the sort, uh, just to get the, uh, the brain out of the way. But, um, you know, the issues are in the tissues, and somatic trauma needs somatic therapy, right? Mm -hmm. But what I've found is that in every case, there was some kind of intuition that they looked back on if they were old enough to have, um, 
have a memory of that kind of thing. There was an intuition that they ignored, like you were saying. Yeah. There was an intuition that was ignored that said, this is not right. But somehow they ignored that intuition and the event happened. Almost every single person that I've worked on that way. So the question then becomes, and, and I would, I could talk to you for another 10 hours. So I'm, you know, I'm just saying, but uh, what are the ways that somebody can improve their intuition, follow their intuition? I know for me, and I'll just kind of go back to a quick story. When I was in school for being a therapist and healer and all that, um, I used to have like a twitch. It would go like this. My eye, the muscle under my eye would twitch. Okay. And so I couldn't get the muscle to stop twitching and it was annoying. So I, I thought about it and, I, and all of a sudden I said, okay, somebody's trying to get my attention. Something is trying to get my attention. It's a signal. Yep. And so I imagined that a fish hook was on my eye muscle, basically twitching it going, hello, hello, I'm trying to get your attention, right? Or um, I had tinnitus. And so my ear would start like this high-pitched bell tone. And all of a sudden I, I, I thought, okay, maybe somebody's trying to tell me something and I'll have to translate it later. But if I stop when I hear that noise in my ear and I just close my eyes and listen, I figure I'll translate it later. <laughs> but I, and all of a sudden it maybe last a minute or half a minute or something and then it goes away and it's gone. But I, consider those things to be intuition or some outside force trying to get my attention and inform me of something that I need to stop. So that's one of my ways. Get let's let, let's get into some tips, tricks, you know, techniques that people can actually do in order to build their intuition today. Absolutely. Okay. So this is a perfect segue into, so the seven day challenge, and you can always take that. It's, it's free off my website. So in the seven day challenge, uh, this is what happens. Uh, and so give, and the, I have, give the website. Yep. It's, it's uh, intuitionology.com. You'll see if you get the free ebook, it'll drive you to the seven day challenge just because what the whole point is, it's great that you have the ebook that talks about intuition. I want you to actually get you to solve a problem even before anything else happens with you and me. Like I, and that's the template you take for any decision. If you get the ebook, take the seven day challenge and you just use that template. It's a downloadable PDF, uh, you're done. And then you're, you've got that process. And I actually have two case studies of people who go through every single day with the decisions that they've done. John Harris goes through it and he was actually selling his house. He took the seven days to, to uh, look at, okay, I'm going to sell my house. I'm starting the seven day challenge. And he went from a minus $20,000. He was actually going to say yes to a loss of $20,000. By the seventh day, he said yes to a a $50,000 over asking. So he actually made a $70,000 decision in those seven days. The other person is uh, Ashley Michelle. She was actually victim to a homicide. Uh, she w- walked into her boyfriend's apartment. He had killed someone, locked the doors behind him, put a knife to her back, said, you're next. Her intuition told her to remain calm. She was assaulted. She was choked. She was asked to, to clean up the blood. She saw the body in the bathtub. Uh, horrific stuff happened to her. 
her intuition kept her alive. She got the moment to re- run out and go down 18 flights of stairs and call 911. She was dealing with a lot of PTSD, depression, and anxiety. So she started the seven-day challenge to say, okay, how do I start reducing this? It's not going to cure it. This Let me reduce it using intuition. So basically, this, the, the steps are here. You, you start with an issue or a problem that you have, and you identify it. And what you do is you look back on what didn't work. And when you look at what on, on the, those decisions that you went back to look at that didn't work, it's what did you feel in that moment? Now you're, what you're doing is you're getting those inventory of negative signals because you didn't, it didn't work, right? And so you want to keep thinking about that as much as you can. If you get a, let's say a voice, was there a signal before that? Was there a decision that you made before that that led you to that decision? And you want to keep going as back as you can um, for as long as you need to, to do that. The next thing you do is you put yourself into what I call an intuitive medium. So a sweat lodge is good. Meditation is good. Uh, I often think in the shower or just before going to bed, what, what is, is the activity you're doing or the environment you can put yourself in that you can sit and think clearly about what solution is to the decision. And when you have that, then what you're going to do is now you're going to be open to your positive intuitive signals and the negative ones um, and start thinking about what are the sub, some of the things that you need to do to move forward. And so now you start developing your positive signals because you're not hampered by the negative ones. Uh, and there could be some negative ones that come up in the environment as well. So you need to add to that to your inventory. Right. Next, you want to take a look at your environment. We talked about this earlier. What do you need to change in your environment? Do you need to move? Do you need to move away from technology? Do you have to do less TV? What is it about your environment? And you, I mean, this is something that you need to understand for that problem. Uh, what do you need to change uh, that's going to help you solve that problem? The next step is the people around you for that problem. So of the people in your circle, how many are going to help you for that problem directly that you can intuitively trust is going to support you through that problem and give you the right information? that you trust. Uh, now, it doesn't necessarily have to be your best friend if that best friend who you trust anyways is not related to that problem. It's just the group of people that you can put yourself in that you really trust. And I go through the four different groups in that seven-day challenge of where you can put people in. Um, then you plan, okay, what are the next steps? So now that I've got positive negative signals, what are my positive signals that are telling me, okay, do I take that? If I take the step, what are my signals? It's a positive signal. I'm going to write that step down and I'm going to, and I keep doing that until I get enough steps that I can. Um, and then the last is take action. And that's when you actually take, okay, of those seven or 10 steps, which are the easiest to do uh, because it's the first one, not easiest, not in terms of effort, easy in that this is the first one I know is the first one I need to do because there's a, there's a sort of right. a chain that, that happens. Priority. The priority, right. And then in that seven-day challenge, what I do is at the, at the start, day one, you actually measure your intuition based on a, there's a strength that you get based on some questions. So it's an intuitive quiz you take. Day seven, you take the intuitive quiz again. And 100% of the time of the people who've gone through that, there's over 50,000 people now who've gone through, and more than that, who've gone through this, this, this challenge or this, this way of, of dealing with their problems, 100% of the time, just in seven days, their intuition has strengthened. And it's because you're, you're actually giving time for a few minutes a day to solve that problem. You're, 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 you're not focused on social media. You're not focused because I've got, I've got a worksheet that you're working on. You're in the moment of focusing on that problem or you should be. 
Uh, and it, the more you are, the stronger your intuition gets. And then you just use that template for every other problem in whatever situation you are in life, right? If it's personal or professional, right. that same, the same procedure works every single time. And it's very simple. These are your signals. These are your environments. These are your, the people around you. This is fully customizable to your problem. It has nothing to do with me or some proprietary process in some academic paper. Uh, this, is your, this is what works. Uh, and it's very simple. And so that's, that's what I would suggest people do. Awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here, for you know, exploring all of this uh, madness and, uh, and intuition. I mean, you know, I know that I, I tend to take people on, on awkward journeys through information uh, non-linearly and, and uh, ask questions that I think most uh, interviewers you know, don't really ask as, as often. Um, but I like to get down deep and dirty. You know, Absolutely. Like, I really want what I want for this show for, uh, for people in general is for them to be able to take these, these episodes and act upon the things that are in them so that they can change the world. Um, that's my purpose. And, uh, and I'm, I'm blessed, you know, to be able to interview people like you that have unusual, you know, jobs, unusual ways of going about what you're doing and have so much success that you can easily explain and, and entertain at the same time. And so I think that people are really getting uh, a lot out of this. My, my last question to you is really about the nature of people and how the nature of people changes the ability to use their intuition. And what I mean by that is people tend, human beings tend to have faith based on fear. Mm -hmm. So if, if you ever listen to anybody who's, who asks if you believe, uh, it's, are you fearful of God? If you want to be successful, you have to be, you know, fearful of God, not in love with God, not, um, you know, like enamored by the information in the word, right? But mm -hmm. fearful of the consequences versus, you know, looking towards the benefits. So we have this, this dichotomy as people. And so the question becomes faith versus intuition, right? And the nature of people, how do we develop and this is, it's a, it's a hard question. You may not have, but how do we develop the intuition that goes along with the compassion that goes along with the um, wish to do no harm, to have peace, to create a world for everybody that is successful and happy? You know, I get that we need the contrast, right? But we've contrasted so far over to one side <laughs> that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to, I want to do everything I can to bring it back to that side of love and peace. Uh, you know, even if it's a pipe dream. So 
How do we yeah, get back? And, and the, the way I can answer this is just sort of through, the, through my lens, so to speak. And so the way I have, because I get bombarded with a lot of these messages and we can, we can just really extrapolate that to a lot of the messages that you get though. But ultimately, what, it, what are you affected by, right? And so when I get these messages of fear or fear-based things or people giving you advice or circumstances that are happening, I'm in the driver's seat. So I control the ability to react to that in whatever way I want. And so if it's like a shield, like, you know, I've got one of these shields and you come in and it just bounces off. Interesting. You've got my attention or you might not have, but ultimately the things that drive me are the ones that are going to really, again, it, it just, I get that pull that I know this is the right thing. And I'll give you a very, very good example um, because it just happened a couple of weeks ago. I was watching this really great video uh, from Prince EA and really, it was really inspirational uh, and the messaging was uh, really good. And I just happened to go through and he gets tons of comments. But uh, what I noticed at the, at the comments was there was someone that was saying, um, I need to talk to someone. And so my intuition drew me to say, listen, you need to reach out to this guy. I, it was just one of, I don't know, 3000 comments that were there. But somehow I focused on that one and I reached out and I said, hey, listen, DM me and here's my number. Give me a call. Now, it could be a salesperson or, you know, you don't know. But here was a guy that was four months behind in his payments, uh, child support payments. He's tried every single job he can. And he was at wit's end and he was about to really uh, let his life go. He really was at that stage. And he was it, it was just the depths of despair. And so within half an hour, we had this talk about, okay, what are you passionate about? This is a 20-year 20, uh, veteran of welding, uh, work at gas stations, retail outlets. And it turns out very quickly that he has a passion for fishing. He somehow wants to dabble in, in uh, digital marketing and he wants to be something for his daughter uh, and he's got a phone. And like, oh, bingo. Uh, well, there's some dots that connect. Okay. So, uh, he, and he, he himself says, yeah, there's a lot of people doing fishing wrong and I mean, the story is just right there. I mean, just connect the dots. You got digital media, you got fishing videos you can do of what people are doing wrong. You can make money by using affiliate on selling lures or fishing tackle. And I'm not in the fishing space. So I'm just riffing uh, based on what I think is there. And so you need to create content that people are not only going to be interested in saying, uh, you know, you can catch a bigger fish in this area, but you can catch a bigger fish in this area. And I tested these two lures. You need the orange one. And by the way, it's 1999. And then you become an affiliate member, right? Or you do a membership uh, on, on, you know, uh, if you have that confidence, but it has to be believable. And I told them intuition is a two-way street. If you're BSing, uh, you know, people may see it's, it's really good or you're not giving enough information where you're actually selling something uh, genuinely and because you believe it, then you're going to get people saying, yeah, it's a great tip. See you later. Right. So within 30 minutes, we had mapped out a plan and the excitement in this guy's voice was amazing. And I told him, I'm going to be checking up on you in about a month or two to make sure that you actually follow through on what we just discussed. Right. So here was something and and the story doesn't necessarily have to be that cathartic. The, The issue is something pulled me there. Something out of that that moment of time that I gave uh, gave, gave me to focus there. I, I mean, there's other videos that say, yeah, well, that's a great message. I don't believe you. I'm gone. And it's, it's that ability to really be in the moment, allow things through this filter, intuitive filter, so to speak, that's actually going to help you move your life forward. That's actually going to take those steps that you know need to be t- taken forward and believing that the information you get, the people you trust, the situations you put yourself in 
move you that fo- that way forward. And it happens in a split second. So that's why it's so important to know what those intuitive signals are that move you that way. Remember that for me, it was that pulling. Whatever happened after that pulling was meant to happen because I trusted my intuition to do that. And thankfully, this affected this, this, this man. But these are laggard indicators that we look at. Uh, the money, uh, the happiness, the changing of people, in your case, athletes um, affecting people. Those are laggard indicators that happen when we use leading indicators, like actually just taking action, taking the steps. So we should never focus on the laggard indicators. We focus on taking the steps. And every single step you take, remember that guy who has cerebral palsy, you just don't know, realize how far you've come until you look back later. But look back later. Right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Um, intuitionology.com is there. My email address is sunil at sunilgatsi.com. I'm on all the socials, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm, I'm making a move on TikTok. Um, so trying that uh, instance, I'm not doing any crazy dances, but I will be, uh, well, I did with my daughters because they want me to do one. Uh, <laughs> but I got to be careful. Because You're not going to whip in and nene. Uh, no, I think that would be where my not Harlem shake. That's where people go. My, my followers will go down for sure. <laughs> oh, come on. You, you can Harlem shake it. Wait, I, I must be old. That was, that was many years ago. The Harlem shake. What, what's the newest one? Flash mob. No, we're not doing flash no. mobs. Anymore. I, well, I, I did try my, my, uh, my thing at breakdancing way back when. So, you know, I had the cardboard and the helmet and I had a buddy of mine and uh, you had the cardboard and helmet. Did you have the parachute pants? I had the parachute pants. You know, I, I couldn't at that time couldn't afford it. But, uh, you know, as much as, um, you know, I think we just wanted to in the basement first, if we, if we could do the worm, um, we did. And uh, luckily I had my helmet because that worm got me into a wall. Uh, and <laughs> this worm ain't turning into a butterfly soon. That's for sure. <laughs> Stop. Hammer time. <laughs> but yeah, so any of the socials, uh, email me, DM me. I'm happy to answer any questions. And yeah, take the seven day challenge. I mean, it's free. And and find out how intuition can solve your problem. And, and now you've got a template for life. So, uh, you know, have a go at her. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for being here, Sunil. Uh, remember, you can always find us at createanewtomorrow.com or achievehealthusa.com. Remember to check out the book, anewtomorrow.com. It's on Amazon as well as on the website. So you can take a look at that and like, subscribe, rate, review, comment below. Let's have a discussion. Let's talk about this. Let's figure out stuff that will help us all move forward together. Thank you so much, Sunil. This has been another great episode with Ari Gronich and Sunil Godsey. Let's uh, experience creating a new tomorrow today and activating our vision for a better world. Have a good, great uh, rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode. 